morning as I was pulling out the, uh, the lane and headed to church, I, this verse came to mind, and I was so excited about coming to church today, uh, sometimes more than others, always excited, but sometimes even real excited. And this verse came to mind. It says, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. What a blessing it is when we look forward to coming to the house of the Lord to serve the Lord and worship with his people. So I want to continue on um, in talking a little bit about uh, we've we've been looking at the role of the deacon, the responsibility, the qualification, the need for uh, deacons within a church body and uh, would like to um, look at it just a little bit more in detail. Um, it's been a while since we've had, quote, an ordination service. Some churches, Primitive Baptists, will actually appoint deacons in a conference meeting. They'll have a, a church conference and they'll appoint deacons and they'll serve maybe a term limit, maybe two years, five years. That's very rare. Most Primitive Baptist churches actually set aside a time to have what we refer to as a worship service or a weekend meeting. And oftentimes the, quote, ordination service will take place on a Saturday. The reason that it's on Saturday is so that the sister churches from the area can come and the ministers can come, the other deacons can come. And when we have an ordination service, we form what's referred to as a presbytery. The presbytery is made up of the ministers, the ones at Mount Carmel, as well as visiting ministers and deacons, ordained men that have experienced going through the ordination. And so we generally set aside a, a time to have a meeting like this. And then the ordination service sort of goes like this. And I'm just going to sort of give a, a little uh, a preface about it. The ordination service uh, is um, the, the presbytery is assembled together and those that are being considered to be ordained into the role of deacon or the role of the ministry is very much the same. The, uh, the ministers are sometimes questioned uh, and sometimes the deacons are as well or the deacons that are going to be ordained are sometimes questioned. And about the articles of faith. And one of the very important uh, points is that anyone that's ordained into the ministry or even deacons that will represent the church, they need to embrace and believe the doctrines of the church. And so oftentimes the articles of faith are read, maybe specific articles are discussed, and there may be some discussion about that. So that before the uh, before the witnesses of the presbytery and the congregation, that it's apparent that those that are being considered to be ordained 
do believe basically the articles of faith that the church represents. And so it's important that uh, that aspect be addressed. I will say that if somebody is ordained believing those principles and departs from that, rather than stir up discord within the church, it's a lot better if someone leaves on their own along the way. That's rare and that doesn't happen often. I mentioned that to you last week when uh, a situation like that happened in the home church that 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 I was in, that I grew up in in Lubbock and how that it it did uh, jolt me in my early, early days in the church. And then there is a, a charge that's given, and it's basically a message. It's a message by one minister or maybe two ministers, and it is a charge to the deacon and his wife. They're generally setting up here in the front, uh, facing the minister, if it's one or two or three couples or however many it is, they're facing the minister, and the charge is given to the deacon and deacon's wives. And so what we've been going through here at Mount Carmel is basically the charge that's given. There's a charge given to the church, and there's a charge given to the deacon and the deacon's wives or minister when a minister is being ordained. And so what we've been going through over the last several weeks is what does the scripture say about the role of deacon, the qualification of deacon, the purpose of the deacon, the need for the deacon. What is it that the scriptures say? Because the scriptures give us real clear picture about that. When he says, look out among you, he also mentions in uh, Timothy, he says, these things first must be proven. They need to be proven. You don't ordain somebody to preach that's never gotten up and attempted to preach before. You want to make sure that the hand of God is in the matter and that the Lord is leading. And it's the same way about ordaining a deacon as well. And that's why it says that these things must be proved. It, it, there needs to be some evidence that these things will be fulfilled and that they'll be taken seriously as well. So an ordination charge is given and then there is an ordination prayer. And so the deacons and ministers uh, come around and gather around the deacon that has been questioned about his belief on the articles of faith, about his desire to fulfill the role. And then there is a prayer that is led by generally one of the ministers that are present and the laying on of hands, the minister and deacons oftentimes will gather around the one that's to be ordained and have the laying on of hands. And then that is the end of the service and the presbytery is dissolved and you have the, the right hand of fellowship. It's, it's real important in looking at some more aspects of the deacon. I feel like that you can't cover in one hour in a charge all of the uh, responsibilities, the qualifications. It can't be covered in a one hour charge that's given through an ordination service, nor can it be fully brought to light in a minister that's being ordained as well. And so that's why I felt that it's important to preach on it ahead of time 
so that we're reminded as a church family, as a church body, the requirements, those that the scriptures address, and that those that are considering fulfilling this role, you don't want to ordain somebody that doesn't want to be ordained. I remember a gentleman that um, was a member of another church and had a uh, little church that he came from. It had lots of lots of challenges and and he had served in the role of deacon in this little church that he was attending. And when he came to Mount Carmel, I was thrilled because we also acknowledge the ordination of other primitive Baptist churches. And, and when he came to the church, I was excited that we were going to have another deacon to serve with us in that capacity. And when I told him, I said, uh, I said, I understand that you were ordained at this church and you served in this capacity. And I said, I- I'm just thrilled that you're joining Mount Carmel and that you're going to uh, fulfill that role and, and fulfill the role of deacon. And he said, he said, I don't want to do that anymore. He was just up front. He said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I fulfilled that role in the church that I was at, but I'm not interested in pursuing that. And he went on to tell me, he said, if I have to fulfill that role, I'm not going to join the church. So you want to make sure that it's somebody that God has put in their heart to serve. It's a wonderful way to serve. But you want to make sure that you're not ordaining somebody that that doesn't have it in their heart to fulfill that role. That's willing to fulfill the role of servant in that capacity. That's willing to minister. Um, So it's important that it be someone that that has the desire to do it as well. I think that's very, very important. It's important that it's someone that can uh, can get along with other folks. Elder Lonnie Mazingo preached an able sermon one time, and the title of it was The Contentious Man. And the scriptures are very clear, especially in Proverbs. It addresses when we have a contentious spirit. There's no place in this role of deacon to have a contentious spirit. There's just no place for that. In fact, we need to... Consider the example of Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot had both had a tremendous uh, herdsman. They had a good bit of wealth that had been accumulated between the two groups. And it says that the herdsman of Abraham and the herdsman of Lot were at discord with each other. And so Abraham calls Lot over and he said, we need to figure this out. We need to resolve this issue. Our herdsmen, my herdsmen, your herdsmen are warring against each other. And we realize that there needs to be a separation here. This is not beneficial. And he said, we need to figure out a solution for this. And Abraham made a proposal to Lot. He says, we need to figure out a solution for this because this is how he described it with Lot. 
He said, we be brethren. That carries a whole lot of weight right there. When there's issues that arise, we need to figure out a way to work through it and a solution. And so what Abraham did, which was which was wise that God had put upon his heart. He said, we be brethren. He, 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 he said, look over here and look at the land, all of the land that's out before you. And he says, Lot, you pick, you pick, you pick the very best. You pick the prime spot. You pick whatever you think is going to be best for you and your people, and I'll take what's left over. Now, that was very noble of Abraham to do that. And it says that that Lot looked and he saw the well-watered plains of Sodom. Now, later on, the end of that story doesn't go real well. But at this point, it looked like a fertile land that was before him. And so Lot saw this land and it looked like it was a prosperous land. And Lot said, I think that's the land that I'm going to take for my herdsmen, for my family. And that's the direction we'll go. And Abraham said, I'll take what's left over. Now, sometimes when we're working in situations, especially in a church family, we, we do well if we take the same approach that Abraham took And said, we be brethren. That carries a whole lot of weight. That goes a long ways. And as a result of that, we ought to do everything that we can to be in harmony and peace with one another. Now, I'm not talking about compromising the doctrine. That's not what he's talking about right here. I'm talking about just wanting my way or having a contentious spirit that I have to have my way all the time, my way or else. Let me just toss this out. While we're here, sometimes when you have been around a long time and you serve in a certain capacity, you get to thinking that it has to be your way or else. That that's the only way that it can be. And then when a new generation comes along, you, I say you, not you, me, I'm talking about myself might hinder or discourage a newer generation, a younger generation, because they might not do it exactly the same way that I would do it. Do you know what? They might not. It's probably going to be better. It is. Um, Brother Mark Humes and I purchased an assisted living years ago, little assisted living. We went in, we made a lot of changes on it, and a lot of improvements and it was when we when we sold it it was better we had made some improvements a lot of it we did ourselves. we painted the walls we did the landscaping we did all those things we did it and it was a lot better but the gentleman that we sold it to ended up becoming a good friend through the years and he took it up another notch he hired a landscaper He hired an interior decorator. He did things that we couldn't do. And he took it up another notch and made it a lot better. I was thrilled about that. Happy about it. And that's how we ought to be with the new generation, the younger folks that are coming on. God blesses everybody with a variety of gifts, 
a variety of abilities. Here's one that you'll probably, maybe, I hope you'll remember it. Poor old Sister Perry. What a blessing Sister Perry was. I think about some of her lessons almost every day. Such a blessing. Lived to be 104 and a half and such a great blessing. She said, Brother Steve and I, I went to school with a classmate of mine. And I believe that her name was Grace Hopper. And I've heard Sister Perry tell this story down in North Carolina. She said the unique thing about Grace Hopper was that Grace was born and she didn't have any arms. She wasn't born with arms. That was just the way she was born and she had no arms. But she said her mother worked with her. Others worked with her. And she said, do you know what? She could do everything you could do. She could come to school and she said, Sister Perry would tell. She said she could use her foot and write on the chalkboard. And she said her her handwriting was just as as legible as it could possibly be. She said then when cars came out, she even learned how to drive a car with two feet. She said, and this is how she'd say it. Well, Grace Hopper could do everything you could do, but she could do it better. Well, that's sort of the way it is that we ought to have the mindset with a new generation coming on that hopefully they can do it the way we do and do it better. That ought to be the mindset that we have. It should be. And we ought to encourage them in that. Um, Matthew chapter 5 tells a story here, and this is a good way to address it. And this is how we ought to address it right here. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse, start with verse 20, um, 22. I uh, will start with verse 21. You've heard, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill and whosoever thou shalt kill will be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of Judgment And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka or call him worthless, basically is the interpretation of that, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Basically, he's just saying right here that if you don't love your brother and put it in practice and especially your brothers in Christ, then you're in danger of the judgment of God. And here's what he says. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there remember that thy brother hath ought against thee, he says, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first and be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So he gives us right here a solution. If we have an ought against somebody or somebody else has an ought against us, there's a solution for it. And he says, basically saying right here that your gift or your ministry or your service can be hindered in the eyes of almighty God. If you don't make it right with those that are around you, if you possibly can. Now, sometimes you can't. Sometimes folks get something in their mind. It doesn't matter if it's real or if it's not, it's in their mind. And sometimes you're not going to change what's in their mind. And in those times, you got to take it to the Lord. I was cleaning out a barn recently and I came across an old, uh, an old, uh, uh, I could think of the name of it before I came to church, an old saw, cross cut bow saw, where there's a handle on each end of the saw. 
there's a handle on one end and a handle on the other end. And I can remember Elder Compton telling us that when he and his brother uh, grew up together, that they were about the same age. And he said, we did everything together. We played together. He says, we worked together. We did everything together. He said, and one thing we did that we did spent many hours doing it as young boys and then uh, teenage boys is we stood across that log with a crosscut saw and I was pulling and he was pushing and we were going back and forth. And he said, we spent most of our life doing things together. And he said, in our latter years, there was an issue that occurred. And he said, there became dissension between me and my brother. And he told me before he died, he said, that's one of the saddest things that I've experienced in my life is that my brother and I, who had been so close, were not close anymore. Here he says, he says, if it's at all possible, you go reconcile with your brother. Let me toss this out. Been here nearly 30 years. There are things that come up. If I find out that somebody's got an odd against me, the first thing I try to do, if I know about it, is go to that brother. Immediate or sister, primarily brothers. But, but if I find out that there is ill feelings or an issue, the first thing I try to do is go to that brother and address it. Because I believe this verse right here, that my ministry will be hindered if I don't do it. And I'll tell you something else that I've experienced. In the early days, I would think that sometimes things would just go away. I've learned that sometimes Satan uses that as an opportunity to make things bigger. Something that can be a real small issue that you might have the ability to go and address. If you don't address it early on, then that time frame, a week, a month, a year, in some cases, 25 years, something that started out really, really small, Satan takes advantage of that and makes it so big. In fact, Satan doesn't want us to be in accord. I, I want to tell you that there's a lot in Romans and in Corinthians about talking about discord. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 6, it says there's six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven, and you can go right down the list. I believe it's Proverbs chapter 6. And he mentions a lying tongue. He mentions a whole lot of things in this chapter right here. But he said there's six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination. And the seventh one is... He that soweth discord among the brethren. There's no, there's no place for that in the church. The church needs to be a place that God's people can come together and worship the Lord in harmony, in unity, that they can feast on the still waters and the green pastures. God's little children need to be able, the, the, the young children need to have a place that they can come to and they can feast on the things of God and they don't need to hear contention and dissension and discord. That's not honoring to God in any respect. I had a minister that told this story one time. 
He went to uh, on a preaching trip, and he uh, it was in, in the south. I think it was in Georgia, is where it was. And this uh, this family that he was staying with, it was a deacon and his wife that he was staying with, and he said that uh, older deacon and his wife, and he said that as he was. Passing down the lane, they lived out in the country. He said, my son and daughter-in-law live over here and they have three children and you'll see them tonight at church. He went a little bit further and he said, my daughter and her husband and grandchildren live over here and you'll see them tonight at church. And as they went down the road, he mentioned five different uh, children that he had and each one of them, he said, you'll see them tonight at church and you'll see their grandchildren or my grandchildren as well. The minister asked him, I know the minister well, the story is, is, I believe, as accurate as it can be. He said, would you, the minister pulled the car off the side of the road and he said to me, he said to him, how did you do it? How did you do it that you've got five children and their spouses and their and their children, your grandchildren. And how is it that you're going to see all of them at church tonight? How did you do it? He says, well, I'll tell you one thing that we didn't do. One thing that we never did in our home. We never had roast preacher and fried deacon for supper. We didn't discuss Issues and dissension among our family. We tried to work through it, but we didn't dwell on it, nor did we pass that to our children. Because you know that that's the way we ought to be in the house of the Lord. It is. It ought to be a place that people can come to and rejoice in the things of God. And our families ought to be that way as well. And I believe that's probably one of the reasons that he says as a qualification of a deacon that he rule his family well. If you go through and look at those qualifications, it's interesting right here. He says you rule your family well. And he also says that you be of a good report within. It's one thing to come to church and 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 when you're around your brothers and sisters in Christ for two hours. But it's another thing when you're back at home and it's another thing when you're at work. And what he's saying right here is your witness needs to needs to match. As we mentioned the the brother last week that no matter where you went, you'd get the same report. Brother Oris Jackson, in the community, within his family, any place you went, the same testimony bore witness that he had in the church. And that's what he's saying right here. He says it ought to be the same. Ought to be the same. So, the next item that I think is, is real important. Sister Annabelle. One day your dad called me and he said, I don't have a lot of folks tell me what they want me to preach on. Brother Andrew's not the norm in that respect. I mean, if he's thinking something, he'll tell you. He called me and he said, I want you to preach on spiritual gifts. I want to know what the scriptures have to say about spiritual gifts. Now he's preaching on it himself and and encouraging other people. But Romans chapter 12, you can go there and read it yourself. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And by the way, back to Proverbs, it gives us a real good instruction on the mindset to have. I believe that it ought to be a, I think it'd be a blessing and ought to be a requirement for the deacons that are to be ordained to go through and read all of the 31 chapters of Proverbs. It will be most helpful. It'll tell you how to think 
the proper way to think and to work with other people. All the 31 chapters of Proverbs. So in Romans and in Corinthians, it talks about the diversity or the variety of spiritual gifts that the Lord's people have. Now, this is not just isolated to deacons. It's not just isolated to ministers. Although it is an avenue that the deacons are able to serve the congregation, to minister to the needs of the poor and those that, are, that have needs, it's an opportunity for them to be able to do that in this capacity. God gives us spiritual gifts. We're able to use them in a variety of ways. But he says that the primary way, not, not the only way, maybe not the primary way, but the first place that we're to use the spiritual gifts is within our church family, within our church body. Not the only place. We use them in our natural families. Hopefully we use them at work. We use them to encourage other people throughout the week. Uh, Sister Annabelle said, I met two people at Home Depot this last week, and, and she was able to minister to them. That, that's, that's using the gifts that God gives you to minister, to encourage, to help encourage along the way. The diversity of gifts that's taught, taught in uh, Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talk about how that if you're using these gifts, that the purpose of using these gifts is to build up the church, to build up the kingdom. To build up the flock. That ought to be our that ought to be our desire to be used of God, no matter at what stage we are in life, whether we're young, whether we're old, that that, that the gifts that God has given us, that we use those gifts to build up the kingdom of Christ. That's a great blessing. It's a blessing for you to use those gifts. I have to say, I'm super excited about ordaining some deacons. I really am. I'm super excited about that. It's going to be an opportunity for the, the deacons to share some of the responsibilities and to serve in this capacity. But it's going to build up the church. It's going to encourage the pastor or ministers. It's going to build up and encourage the church. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful blessing. That's the way God designed it. But all of us here have an opportunity to serve God with the gifts that we've got. Sister Victoria has a real special gift. She raises chickens and guineas and ducks and probably a whole bunch of other stuff too. But I've been the beneficiary and many of you here have been as well because she keeps you in, in the freshest eggs possible. I'll never forget one day last summer, I, I told her, I said, I was able to do something not many people can do this morning for breakfast. I had a duck egg, a guinea egg and a chicken egg. Thanks to Sister Victoria. Great blessing. Great blessing. Sister Lee and Sister Greenfield have some really special gifts that we all, not just them, all the sisters do. Um, a couple weeks ago when my birthday came around, there was a real nice birthday cake that somebody had skillfully made and written happy birthday on. And then there was a, 
a German chocolate cake. Homemade. If you got to eat some of that, it was really, really special. Sister Greenfield made the German chocolate cake that was here. For about 30 years, Sister Lee has brought me a German chocolate cake to take home. And that day, she told me, as we were standing in line to go through the, the line, she said, well, Brother Stephen, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that anymore. I think my days of making that uh, German chocolate cake are probably behind me. She probably could see the disappointment in my face. I tried not to show it, but I know that it, it, it came out. And I thought to myself, well, I saw her pulling out of the shopping center last week. And in my mind, I thought, she's getting the ingredients to make my German chocolate cake. <laughs> and when I told her that, she said, no, I was just going to get my medicine. <laughs> So I was kind of disappointed. No pressure, Sister Lee. But then before I get in the car, her son comes up and he says, could you unlock the car? Said, Mom's got something she wants to put in there. She was just playing with me. There was a German chocolate cake. So I had one for church and I had one for the house. And, and I'm probably going to be a diabetic, but it's okay. So I was, I was so thrilled when I found out she's still able to make German chocolate cakes. That's a gift. That's a blessing. Susan, Miss Susan, one of her special gifts was that she made chocolate chip cookies, homemade chocolate chip cookies for every visiting minister that came. They would leave with a big can of chocolate chip cookies. That was Susan's ministry. She also would take pictures. Uh, Mark and Chrissy got her a new camera, and she'd take pictures of folks when they joined the church or young people when they'd have babies and she would send those pictures to them. That was a ministry that Susan had. It's a diversity. And that's what makes it so neat and so special. Your gift or gifts is completely different from the person that's sitting next to you. They're not always the same. But every single person that God touches, he blesses them with these special, special gifts. And he says, now I'm giving you a church family to use those gifts. Now I'll tell you, if you don't have an atmosphere that God's people can use the gifts, they'll go somewhere where they can. They will. God's people need to be able to use the gifts that God's given them to encourage and help and serve others. And did you know that when you're using those gifts, when you're using the gifts that God's given you, did you know you're blessing others, plus you're going to be blessed? One of the things I miss so much, I miss it so much. I wish there was a way we could figure out. I miss this time of the year when we would go to Citizens Nursing Home. I mean, how many went with us to Citizens? I mean, wasn't that a blessing? It was a blessing to those poor old people. We'd take poinsettias to those that had no family and give them the, the poinsettias, sing hymns to them. That was a special time. I miss that so much. I wish that, wish they'd make an exception for us, that we could just go do that again, because it's such a blessing and encouragement. When you're using the spiritual gifts that you have, you're blessed in using them. The people that, that you're using them with are blessed, and then God is pleased. So you're blessed three different ways. You're blessing others. God is pleased. He's blessing you as well.
So the last thing that I'll mention, it says in First Timothy, he says that these things need to be proved. And I, I've thought about that. It says uh, that uh, there needs to be some evidence of these things. These it says, let these things be first proved. Now, it's talking about the demeanor. That's very important. But also, I believe it's talking about knowing some of the things that need to be done, some of the responsibilities and uh, visiting the sick, uh, encouraging the Lord's people. So over the next few months, Lord willing, we're going to give uh, some folks that might meet these qualifications some opportunity to be aware of some of the needs of the, the, the church some of the needs of the church body, of the building itself, some of the roles and responsibilities of deacon, of visiting the sick, encouraging other people. And they'll be blessed in so doing, and it won't be something that's foreign to them when we ask for them to serve in that capacity. So the scriptures are clear on the qualifications on the needs, we looked at Acts chapter 6, the responsibilities. Uh, and if we follow that, I believe that the church itself will be blessed. The church will prosper. I believe the church will grow. I believe it will be a blessing to one another. I believe that God has provided it. He's provided a very simple, simple pattern for the New Testament church. Sing and pray and preach it. He doesn't have a whole lot of different offices for people to sign up for. But he gives opportunities to serve, and they're very, very simple. And all of those offices, the, the, one, the, 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 the role of servant, of deacon, of minister, of ministering servant, all of those responsibilities and offices have to point toward not the individual, but toward Christ. If we have any gifts to serve, it's because God's given those abilities to us. I like what Elder Compton used to say. He said, God gives us the desire and God gives us the ability. So God gets all the credit. It's not how great I am. It's how great he is. He gets all the glory. What a great opportunity to serve in the church of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what. We need you, and you need the church. And that's how God has blessed it to work together as a church family, to serve and honor him. And I'm encouraged that this new generation won't do it just like I did, just like you did. They're going to do it a lot better. They are. May God bless you.